the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. program. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas on this wonderful Monday afternoon. And this is the word to stand on for life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And as always, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, thanks for joining me on a Monday. Hope you had a great weekend. We had so many people at church yesterday. Um, It was almost like we were giving stuff away for free, but it was a really, really great day. And I want to remind you, as I always do on a Monday, that tonight is our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies at 7 o'clock. The ladies are uh, doing their Sweet Summer Devotion series. And uh, Bumi Ogunmola hope I said that right, Bumi. Bumi Ogun Mola is going to be sharing her heart, and these are always special times. Uh, You can watch it, ladies, at calvarysa.com at 7 o'clock, but it's always better to be here in person because the Q&A and the discussion that happens after the the sharing uh, is always such a a blessing. So that is tonight at 7 o'clock. We have child care, uh, but if you have older kids, bring them to the junior high school and the high school Bible studies that go on the same time. Hey, we'd love your phone calls. We've got Tanya from California holding on line one. Tanya, thanks for calling early. You're on the air. Hi, Papa. How you been? I've been really, really good. Missing you. Well, we'll be home soon at the end of the month. We'll be there for two weeks. Oh, good. Carlson and I are coming. You know what? If If I get you for two weeks, I may get used to and not let you go back. You know, I know. Our <laughs> prayer is, you know, we'll go home when, when the good Lord sends us to Texas. Um, but, you know, it's pretty hot right now, so I'm actually feeling good at, a, you know, 78 degrees here in the Bay. <laughs> <laughs> you just had a bunch of people here mm. hang up on you. I, I know. They're like, oh, India. <laughs> um, so, Pa, I have a question for you. Yesterday we were in church, and, and you know, normally I go and pull the studies, and, and I go and find the answer because you do such a wonderful job in your commentaries um, that I can – it's easy enough for me to understand. But I haven't had a chance to look at this one, and I really wanted to get my call in because I know last week was kind of slow. I thought, you know what, Let, let's ask this or pastor run. So uh, my question has to do with First um, Corinthians um, chapter 15 – Starting with verse 35, when it talks about, you know, our resurrected body, I'm not going to read it all that, but just curious to know, I know, first of all, at the end of the day, it kind of doesn't really matter because I know I'm going to heaven and I didn't deserve it, so I'm grateful for that. (laughs) But um, when it comes to resurrected bodies, 
are we in our same body? Because I go back to John twenty thirty two, where I think it's thirty two, where um, Thomas, where Jesus tells him to, um, is it thirty two, where he tells him, you know, touch the, you know, the holes in my scars in my hand, or mm-hmm. um, and tells him because so he had to recognize that he was Jesus. So I was just kind of curious about that. Like, what are we? You know, I know you boys wanted to be a Dodger baseball player. I'd like to be a little <laughs> taller and a little thinner. So <laughs> are we going to get the same bodies? or can you, And if we don't, and if we don't, like I said, at the end of the day, I'm just happy I'm, get, I'm getting in. Um, so very grateful. If you could just ex- expand on this, I would really appreciate it, Papa. But at the, like I said, at the end of the day, uh, you know, I'm just happy to be getting in. And I'm, yeah. I'm trying to bring as many people as I can with us. <laughs> I know you are, Tanya. Thank you very, very much. This is love actually you. Tell love Mama you I too. I know, I know Mama's listening. She's Hi, listening, so she's got you. This this is one of my favorite subjects. I mean, think about it. Uh, I always tease the church here and tell them, look, I'm going to be six feet tall, 170 pounds, and I'm not going to have this Winnie the Pooh voice. I'm going to have a James Earl Jones type voice. Uh, I, the, the reality is we don't really know what our our resurrected physical bodies are going to be like other than to say uh, the Apostle John says that we know this, that our bodies will be like his. Um, recognizable to be sure. Remember on the Mount of Transfiguration when Moses and Elijah appeared and Peter, James, and John uh, were able to identify them completely. So our bodies will be recognizable. We'll be able to see one another and, and we'll know everything that we don't know here and more. Uh, so uh, we'll be able to recognize people. Um, but our bodies, uh, the only difference between our body and Jesus's body is that his body still bears the scars of his beating and his crucifixion. And, of course, our bodies will then be perfect. They will be physical. Uh, they will have abilities uh, like Jesus did. Remember, he walked through a wall and he could appear one place and suddenly leave and be somewhere else. We'll be able to do that. Um, but beyond that, we don't really have any information at all. Uh, about what our physical bodies are going to be. We know we'll be able to eat. Jesus ate in his physical body. Uh, Imagine, Tanya, being able to eat and not gain any weight at all. Um, um, Not have to worry about calories or Paula won't have to worry about gluten-free. You know, we go into a restaurant, Paula has to go in saying, hey, I'm gluten-free. All of that nonsense. Paula says that she's going to have hot or warm uh, sourdough bread waiting for her when she gets to heaven. And uh, we know we'll, be, we'll do all those things without any um, negative side effects. Uh, and, and that's all we know. We, we really don't know anything else. We don't know how old we'll be. Um, you know, I'm certain that whatever the perfect age was, I usually like to think, Tanya, about when Adam uh, and Eve were created, um, you know, they were one day old, but, but how old did they appear to be? By the way, anybody that thinks the church, um, um, you know, uh, uh, or that the earth rather is, is, has to be millions of years old, um, we don't understand anything. So the idea is we'll be the perfect age, we'll be in perfect health. Uh, I shared with a listener last week that I have a brother, Ricky Allen, who died. He lived 20 days. I never got to see him. And uh, as a kid, to me, to me that was, was really uh, upsetting. And uh, I'll get to see him. He'll be there waiting for me. And he won't be baby Ricky Allen. And yet I'll know him completely. So beyond that, we just don't really know. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, he likens... Uh, the difference in our physical resurrected glorified bodies to that of a seed being put in the ground and then growing into this beautiful plant or beautiful flower. Um, You know, what we will be, we cannot know yet, but it'll be that uh, dramatic of a transformation and it will be perfect. And at my age, Tanya, no more ouch in the morning, no more stiff joints, uh, no more pains or groaning um, will be perfect. And um, believe me, I'm ready for that. Tanya, God bless you. I can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks. Uh, here is a question. I'm going to deal with a couple of questions that came in last week. Um, uh, the first one is from uh, Alexander. 
And um, uh, Alexander, your question is so long, I'm really not going to be able to read it all. Uh, but the idea Alexander's wondering about um, um, polygamy, wondering if, if uh, perhaps biblically you, you can't prove uh, that um, marrying multiple wives was a sin. And Alexander, I really don't know what you're trying to get at. I mean, it, it, just the cursory reading of the Bible indicates that that marriage is between one man and one woman and that to be forever. So obviously... Um, defiling the marriage by adding somebody else or having another wife or having another husband in these days um, um, w- would be a sin. It, it it clearly is a sin. Jesus said uh, in Matthew chapter 19, when they came to him and asked about divorce, um, he said, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, now here's the key, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, that's very clear. The two will become one flesh. Then say the three or the four, or in Solomon's case, the thousand uh, will become one flesh. Uh, and so clearly God's ideal from the very beginning was Adam and Eve together in the cool of the garden, walking in fellowship. When sin entered the world, then these wicked thoughts about marrying multiple people came into place. Now, people will say, well, why didn't God stop it then? Well, he, he told them not to do it, but the reason they didn't stop listen to him is the same reason that many of us we don't listen to God we do what we want instead of what what he wants us to do and Alexander all you have to do is look at all of the the, the uh, men who were married to multiple wives now culturally it was an acceptable thing uh, kings married as many women as they wanted in the in the ancient world uh, it was a sign of status there were other kings who would give their daughters away um, sort of as a peace treaty offering uh, for um, um, Christians, or I'm sorry, for uh, 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 other kings, they just they, they, to avoid uh, being overwhelmed by um, a, a superior enemy. Um, but every time there were multiple wives, the consequences were horrible. I mean, just horrible. And because the consequences were horrible, um, it, it was just God leaving us alone with our own bad choices. There's never reason to marry multiple wives. It is never acceptable. And Jesus made that as clear as they possibly could. The two, not the three, not the four, not the five, the two will become one flesh. So, Alexander, that's the best I can do on that. Again, the question was really, really long, and I, I just wanted to be sure uh, that um, I, I hit your, your question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Um, here's one from Anonymous from our email inbox. Uh Pastor Ron, I've gotten some advertisement for end-of-life preparation. (laughs) Anonymous, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you. I'm thinking we need to be our age. This is market-specific advertising. I've gotten some advertisement for end-of-life preparation that seems to lean toward cremation. I have no plans to need these services in the immediate future and have insurance for my family to take care of my funeral and be taken care of afterwards. However, we've not talked in depth about cremation versus traditional burial. Is there anything specific that addresses this in the Bible? And also, if someone goes with cremation, what about spreading the ashes in particular places, public land, loved ones, graves, etc.? Thank you for your ministry. Anonymous, thank you for the question. Um, just, I'm not objective on this as a pastor who has watched people have to deal with the end-of-life decisions and the emotion of the moment. I've seen obscene amounts of money spent. Uh, mortuaries are like car dealers. Their, their job is to make money. And it's getting more and more expensive all the time. And you can feel real guilty if you don't want the best for your departed loved one. Um, with all of my experience with this over the years, Paula and I have decided a long time ago that we are going to go the most inexpensive way possible. And that is cremation. Um, 
the Bible doesn't deal with this issue specifically. Um, when burials are talked about in the Word of God, um, the burials are contextual, and and it, it was whatever was being done in that uh, uh, that particular day or particular time of history. Uh, they would throw them in a tomb. We don't do that anymore. We dig a hole in the ground. But one way isn't any better than the other. Now, here's the thing that the Bible teaches us, Anonymous. It doesn't matter what we do with these old bodies. The real us is the spirit that lives in these bodies. These are temporary tents, and these old tents are are going to be uh, absolutely useless when when the real us, the spirit, is left. You know, I, I've done a lot of, uh, I've been at a lot of bedsides when people were dying. And I was able to share with them, this is what's going to happen um, when it's time for you to go meet Jesus. Um, your your body's going to give out. And just before that happens, an angel who's going to escort you in the presence of the Lord is going to come. And he's going to just extend his hand and he's going to invite your the real you out of that old tired body and you're going to be instantly in the presence of God and in the meantime you will have in the twinkling of an eye in an instant you'll have a new resurrected physical um, glorious body Um, and and so that happens uh, faster than we can possibly imagine so what happens with the old carcass left behind and this is my point uh, what happens with this old tent doesn't matter at all. Now, Paula and I, we joke about this a lot. She says she's going to stuff me and set me up in the corner. I tell her, just throw me in the backyard and let the birds give me. It really doesn't matter what happens to this old body uh, because the real me in a glorious new body will be with the Lord in an instant. And it just seems to me um, impossible uh, to spend uh, an obscene amount of money, uh, especially people like me who don't have a lot of money, um, it just doesn't seem um, uh, the right thing to do to spend a whole bunch of money um, just to bury an old tent that really has zero value at all. So that's our position on it. Um, uh, because we've made that decision, I'm not objective about it. The people, and, and we do a lot of funerals, so the people that want lavish funerals, God bless them. That's their choice. They can make it. Um, and then there's people like me who just think it's ridiculous to spend that kind of money on any kind of a ceremony. And by the way, don't make your, your if, if you're the one who's getting ready to, to be with the Lord, um, don't make anybody else feel guilty. You know, um, I have no plans for my funeral. Um, it doesn't matter to me. Nothing will matter. Nothing at all will matter uh, because I'll be with Jesus. When you read that Pastor Ron died, you can report it as false advertising because I didn't die. I just moved to much better digs. So, Anonymous, that's our position on it for a very, very long time. Regarding spreading ashes in particular places, I think those kind of things are based in superstition. And uh, I think they make the survivors feel a little bit better. But again, there's no value at all. Um, You know, uh, uh, I love the ocean, uh, but there's no value in spreading my my ashes there because, again, I'll be in a far more glorious place. So that's um, our perspective on it here at Calvary Chapel, at least mine and Paula's. And then the rest of the people in the church are completely free to do whatever they want to do with it. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from Nacho. I like this question um, from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, the talk about megachurches is still a thing. However, I think that most true believers, and then parenthetically he writes, believers who really want to get into the Word and truly want to serve a church would prefer to work in a smaller church. Of course, that's just my opinion. What led me to this was the teaching in Acts about the church being scattered after the death of Stephen. My reasoning is that perhaps uh, the Lord prefers smaller churches and had the circumstances in Jerusalem scatter the Christians because they got comfortable with being together in Jerusalem and forgot Jesus' command to go to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Mega churches seem so impersonal, and I think it also takes away from allowing many 
to serve uh, because funny enough, there's not a lot of positions to fill as compared to the number of people who attend. Your thoughts, please. Um, Nacho, I pretty much agree with you. Um, um, you know, I, I have no axe to grind against mega churches. We're a large church. We're a large church in a small place. Uh, so, I mean, we're so close. You should have seen us trying to do a Calvary crunch in first and second service yesterday. Um, but But we have a lot of people. And uh, we've actually grown to like the closeness. Now, people come in and they see it's crowded and they're uncomfortable. I get that. Uh, but um, you can't stop people from coming. You know, if God wants to to um, entrust more people to you, you open the doors, you keep building bigger, and, and you do what you can to accommodate the people that the Lord is bringing. Now, the problem with mega churches is that... Most often to get large, they say things that the people want to hear instead of saying what the people need to hear. And that's my only real problem with megachurches. Um, they get big. That was the purpose. That was their 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 goal. And to do that, um, they just water down the word of God. And as long as you tell people what they want to hear, it's easy. People with itching ears uh, will come because they they won't have to deal with conviction. They won't have to deal with um, um, messages that that are are hard to hear. Uh, and we want to be sure that nobody's in sin anyway is comfortable when they come to church here at Calvary Chapel. So. Um, I personally like a church small. As a pastor, uh, I want to know my people. And I can't know all the people that come here. I wish I could. There's people that will, you know, we tell people at our church all the time, uh, as much as you open yourself up to us, we will give everything we have to you. We don't want any wall of separation because I'm the pastor. But there's a lot of people that, that won't come up. I love it. Yesterday, in fact, a couple of times that people who've been coming to church now for one six months, another one for nearly a year, and they came and said, it's time we finally introduced ourselves to you. And I was so grateful for that. I want to know everybody. So very important. Um, uh, I do think mega churches can be impersonal. I think sometimes they can prevent people from wanting to serve. Um, it's easy to get in and get out without anybody noticing. I'm not sure that's a super healthy thing. So thank you, Nacho. Let's go to Victor on line one. Victor, thanks for holding you on the air. Uh, hello, Pastor Ron. Hi, Victor. I had a question. Um, in, in my situation, uh, uh, the... Uh, our adult kids, uh, now that I practically already paid off my uh, my uh, uh, cremation uh, funeral expenses, it's already paid for, and now they're they're saying that they wanted a traditional, and I just uh, you know I don't even think I could I would be able to get a refund for for having paid for it already. So all I can do is. It's telling me I'm sorry, but uh, you know you'll you'll it states in the policy that that they'll be able to uh, view the body before cremation, and that's the best I can do. Yeah. I don't know what else to tell them. I don't know if you have any advice on what to tell them or how to tell them. You know, yeah. Victor, I'll, I, I'll get off the phone and I'll listen. I'll okay, thank, thank you, you, Victor. Those are hard things, you know. Um, I, I want to know what the reason they're stuck on an, on a traditional funeral uh, really is. Um, is it superstition? Are they believers? That kind of thing. But but make no mistake, Victor. This is your choice, not theirs. It's your choice, not theirs. It's not unloving at all to say, no, your mother and I have decided that this is what we're going to do because we just can't imagine spending the money. It's already been done. It's already arranged. Uh, if you want to see the body, I understand the need for closure. Uh, that's part of the policy, so you'll be able to do that. Uh, but but our service will be a memorial service because there won't be a body there. And I would just be that direct with them. Um, um, 
but, but, but it, it really opens up an opportunity. Talk with them. Why are they they stuck? It gives you a chance, especially if they're not believers, born-again Christians. It gives you an opportunity to talk to them about the old body, and it's just a, just a, a tent. And once I'm gone, it's not there. And then you can springboard from that and share with them. Um, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can go right to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and read the first three verses, and then the rest of chapter 15 goes into uh, a detailed explanation on the, the glory of the resurrected body. So uh, I think that kind of confidence can be very comforting to your kids. Uh, but I, I really, this is not their decision to make. It's your decision to make. And... and um, um, as I said to the earlier question, Paul and I, we've already made that decision. Uh, and in good conscience, we would we would rather, I'd rather just give my money. Now, I have no money to give, but, but if I had some money, I'd just rather give it to anybody. You know, just somebody um, homeless on the street, somebody in the church of need. Uh, but, but the idea is, is uh, spending money for superstitious reasons um, really doesn't have any value. So, Victor, I'd like to know more about why they feel the way they do, um, where they are in their walk with the Lord. But remember, it's your choice, your decision, and not theirs. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Monday show, 340-9585 or toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Monday show. Again, thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And what we do here is we take your phone calls and answer your questions, email questions or questions called in. All you have to do is dial 340-9585. Here is an anonymous question from our mobile app that just came in. Um, He or she says, a friend of mine asked if Jesus was all about peace, why did he encourage getting weapons? I didn't know how to respond. I know that he's wrong, but couldn't really explain why Jesus said, this is Luke chapter 22, verse 36, but now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your clothes and buy one. Uh, Could you help me understand? I can, but before I answer the question, Anonymous, let me say this. These are such dishonest questions. And, And rather than just providing an answer, uh, I always encourage people to to dig in a little bit. Why why would you ask that question? Do you have any interest in Jesus? Do you have any interest in giving Jesus your heart, having your sins forgiven? And then asking them, well, since you don't have any interest in Jesus, why did you ask this question? Are you trying to, is this a I gotcha question? But we need to expose the hypocrisy of their hearts, not in a combative way, but just in a way that sort of the Holy Spirit can can work on them when the conversation's over. Now, this question isn't about peace. This question's not about weapons at all. Um, Jesus was at the end of his ministry. He was telling his disciples that up to now uh, you have been protected because I'm with you. Um, um, nothing has happened to you, no harm has come upon you uh, up to this point, but now I'm going away. And because I'm going away, here's what he's really saying in Luke twenty two thirty six: Things are going to get hard now. Things are going to get really hard. You know, up to this point in Jesus' ministry, all of the opposition has been against him. And they've tried to kill him, and they've got all of these plots and, and things going on. But Jesus is saying, when I leave, they're coming after you. So be ready. This wasn't a a literal sword that Jesus is saying, okay, now go to the guns show and and buy a weapon. It's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is you need to be ready. Before you didn't money, now you're going to need money because you're going to have to provide for yourself. And the same thing with a sword, get a cloak because you're going to be on the run. So be 
ready for the tribulations that are going to come in your life as a result of me going away. And anonymous, that is all this is about. It, it is not. I've had people come to me and say, "Well, well, uh, Jesus said to buy a sword, and and so it's okay for me to have guns, even if my wife doesn't want them." Or it's not. It, 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 you know. Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. Giving himself up for if your wife is uncomfortable with a gun in your home, um, don't get a gun. It's that simple. And um, people that say, well, I have a right uh, to bear arms. Well, that's right. But you also have an obligation to God to minister to your wife. So um, that this can't be used for any of those purposes. It's just Jesus saying, up to now, I've protected you. I've been with you. Now you're on your own. Now the Holy Spirit will be with you, but people are coming after you and you need to be ready. That's the only purpose of that statement at all. Thank you for the question, Anonymous. I appreciate it very, very much. Here's a question from Trey. He says, um, how should someone like me respond when I see pastors and sometimes their wives completely walk away from the faith? It seems very hopeless for me if they fall away. Now, Trey, I'm going to tell you, this this hits really close to home for me. Uh, when I was a new believer, and I'm talking, oh, six months to a year in that time, uh, there was a pastor in Southern California where we were living at the time, uh, a, a wonderful Bible teacher. I'm talking unbelievably gifted. Um, he had a, a an everyday radio show that for me was a, a can't-miss show. Um, I learned so much listening to him, and uh, I really liked him. The show was called Solid Rock Radio, uh, and he was solid as a rock. And I remember one day at the gym, I was uh, on a treadmill warming up, and uh, somebody left some newspapers, the Orange County Register, and uh, because his church was in Orange County, he was a pretty well-known pastor. And I picked up the front page of the metro section, and it was about him, a local pastor um, forced to resign after moral failure. And when I read it and found out it was him, Trey, it devastated me. I knew at that time that I was called to be a pastor, but remember, I'm a brand new believer. And my first thought was, if he fell who am I to think that I won't fall? And believe me, the devil really used that tray to, to try to discourage me from following the calling that God had in my life. So I understand exactly how you feel. Here's what we need to do. And, and I don't mean to sound cliche-ish here, but our hope is in Christ. Our hope is not in people. I hope and pray that if uh, I did something foolish and was disqualified from being a pastor... Um, I hope and pray that I've taught the people here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio well enough that they would continue their walk with the Lord. Now, their hearts would be broken for sure. Um, their faith, many of them, their, their faith would be shaken. Uh, I get all of that. Um, but they'd still follow Jesus. At least that's my hope. And we can't, men are always going to disappoint you. Men are always going to disappoint you. And and while I feel the same way when I see people um, like that particular pastor who fell, I need to remember that uh, Jesus is the one who began a good work in me and is faithful to for, to finish that work. It doesn't say that he began it. I have to be faithful to finish it. He will finish the work. And so what we do in, when we, we're, we're shocked like that is we simply focus on Jesus. You know, in these last couple of years, especially um, right after the, the pandemic, we have lost so many pastors to sexual sins, to church abuse sins, to mismanagement of finance sins, all kinds of things. And you wonder if these people were ever listening to anything they said. It's easy to preach to a room full of people, but but in order to stand there and be pleasing to God, you've got to be able to hear your own preaching. But that, I mean, you've got to examine your heart. You've got to look deeply in your heart and make sure that you're not drifting away from the Lord. So often, you know, we get to so involved, we pastors get so involved 
in in church matters in other people's lives in in doing bible studies that we don't pay attention to our own hearts and i've said this many times trey my flesh stinks just as much today in 2023 as it did on the day before i got saved my flesh is no better today than it was 32 years ago but here's what i can tell you I know Jesus better, and I'm closer to him. So when somebody falls and you start to feel hopeless, then that's your warning from the Holy Spirit to focus on Jesus, to focus on Jesus. Just be with Jesus, and he is the one who will be faithful even when we are faithless. So don't look at men. Sometimes fame... um, Uh, I hate to say this about pastors. We're supposed to be servants. But sometimes fame turns our heads and turns our hearts. Uh, The enemy certainly will try to use fame to to turn us away. We've got to stay close to Jesus. And for every pastor out there, and I know there's a lot of pastors who listen to this program, uh, for every pastor out there, you have an obligation to understand how your behavior is going to affect the people that God has entrusted to you. We've got to live what we teach. There can't be any duplicity. There can't be hypocrisy. That doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes, but we don't intentionally and willfully walk into sin. We are accountable. James said, not many of you should seek to be teachers because a teacher stands a stricter judgment. That means we have to live what we tell others. And if we can't do that, we have no business. The pastor whose marriage is a mess has no business in the pulpit, period. The pastor whose kids run wild and he doesn't discipline them has no business in the pulpit. Uh, The pastor who's running around uh, with people that he's not married to has no business in the pulpit. This is serious business, and we're going to stand before the Lord and, and believe me, if you don't fear God now, there will be a holy, terrible fear of God at that moment. So, Trey, it's not looking at people. Look at Jesus. He will sustain you. Here is an anonymous question, um, sad one. Um, Pastor, my husband won't keep a job, and our family is struggling financially. Why doesn't God make him work? Well, anonymous, God doesn't make anybody do anything. He tells us what to do, but he doesn't make us do anything. This isn't on God. Don't blame God. This is your husband who is not being a a, a godly representative. So these are the kind of things, especially, you know, you're listening to a Christian program, so I assume you're a believer. Uh, If he professes to be a believer, uh, this is something that you should go to your pastor Uh, and ask for marriage counseling. And if your husband refuses, you go. But the idea that you're going to keep those things, the secrets in the home, secret, just doesn't cut it. Just doesn't cut it. And this is one of those times, if a husband and a wife were in the Word together, believe me, the Holy Spirit's going to drag these things out. And you need to be able to ask him, why won't you get a job? And you know, jobs are everywhere. And somebody, and we've had husbands who refuse to work. Well, I, they don't pay enough. Or that job is beneath me. When you're unemployed and when your family's struggling, no job is beneath you. Hard work is honorable work. Um, there's no, um, no job uh, that provides a paycheck that is beneath you at all. Do all things as unto the Lord. And um, um, this is this. You got to pray for your husband. Try. Um, I, I understand your anger and your frustration, but but don't get fleshy. Just tell him that he's going to stand before the Lord and give account of his of his uh, ministry, his stewardship over his family, and just tell him that he's failing you and he's failing God. And then say, I'm not going to say anything else about it. But but I'm begging you. Get a job and provide for your family. Now, let me speak to men. Men, there's no excuse for not working. There's just no excuse at all. Um, A job at fast food 
is is much more dignified than no job at all. And you can justify it any way you want to, but it is a sin not to provide for your family. So do the best you can. There's no excuse for laziness at all. Sorry, but thank you for the question. Here's a called-in question from Mel in San Antonio. She called the studio. My older brother is a born-again Christian that recently had a water baptism at a Church of Christ church and believes that to be saved from... Um, and believes he is saved from that alone. Uh, as a long-time believer, how do I explain to him that that's not the case? Um, Mel, I'm sorry for this. This is one of the problems with Church of Christ and, and uh, many other churches that, that think that baptism saves you. Catholic Church, infant baptism saves you. Uh, nothing could be farther from the truth. Um, and the reality is he knows. Believe me, he knows. And the only way that you can really deal with this is you can say, look, have you ever lived one minute, just one minute, just for Jesus? Jesus said you have to be born again. You think you were born again in the waters of of a pool or a river or a lake? The answer is no. Um, Tell him to read the Bible. That's all. Baptism doesn't save you. Um, just because you get wet, there's a whole bunch of Christians that are wet who are going to end up spending eternity separated from God. So uh, just, and pray for him. Don't get mad at him. Um, Don't argue with him. Um, Just challenge him to find out for himself and tell him the stakes are so high, he has to be convinced. And for for everybody in the audience... um, it hurts my heart. I've, I've had a lot of people baptized uh, either as an infant in the Catholic Church. We live in San Antonio, Texas, and the Church of Christ is popular out here. Well, no, I was baptized, so I'm saved. Um, and the answer is these are people that don't know Jesus. And on that day, uh, they will say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus will say, depart from me, for I never knew. But I was baptized, Lord. That doesn't matter. It's the baptism, and this is the Apostle Paul. It's the baptism of the heart, not the body. It's the baptism of the heart that matters. We've got a baptism coming, a baptism event coming up here, uh, August seventh, I think. It's sometime around that date. Um, and one of the things we want people to know for sure is that um, you get baptized because you're saved. You don't get baptized to get saved. And we want to know, why are you getting baptized? What's been going on in your life? Are you a born-again Christian? So that's the best we can do there. Thank you, Mel. I appreciate it very much. Let's go to line one. We've got Lauren from San Antonio on line one. Thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Oh, this is Lauren from San Antonio, formerly of from everywhere else. <laughs> this is indeed. <laughs> Welcome back to San Antonio, my friend. It's wonderful to be back. Oh, I feel better just knowing you're in town. <laughs> yeah, I had a question for you. Um, in light of a lot of the social tumult that's been going on in recent years, uh, can you speak to some of the biblical foundations uh, or constraints um, for uh, Christians and social justice? As far as are, are there limits or specific guidelines to where Christ's redemptive power either cautions us against or pushes us towards engaging in social justice issues with the gospel? Yeah, Lord, I think I think I can. You know, justice is uh, justice is one of those words that doesn't need an adjective in front of it. Uh, there is justice and there is injustice, period. And so the idea behind social justice and how churches are playing into it is we're trying to appeal to a, a young group of people primarily that, that want to do more than just go to church. And so their idea is, well, no, we should be doing something. There's something we can do, whether it's sex trafficking or, or homelessness or, or uh, racism, whatever it is. They want to tax social justice issues, uh, and they want to do that without Jesus in the middle of it. So there's no biblical foundation that says that we are to go out and do uh, 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 attack social justice issues. There is a biblical mandate that we're to go out and declare the gospel. To everyone that we see, our job is to go out and make disciples, 
teaching them to obey everything that Jesus said. And uh, the, the, the reality is that when we um, introduce somebody to Jesus, then Jesus changes their heart, and then they start doing wonderful things. But we're trying, with social justice, we're trying to make the, the, the issue, whatever our, our particular issue is, we're trying to make that issue our little G-God, and that never works. Jesus has a gift and a calling for everybody. And what we need to do is encounter Jesus, get born again, and then let Jesus send us on our way. Here's what most people that are chasing social justice issues don't understand. Now, they want to do it because it makes them feel good. It makes them feel like they're accomplishing something. It makes them sound so spiritual. But the reality is Jesus is the one who, who weaves his church together. Jesus is the one who, who, who gives us direction and uh, I'll just give you a couple of examples. And Lauren, you know this about our church. Um, when you are surrendered to the will of God uh, individually and then as a church, um, God is going to have you do some neat things. Um, social justice. Um, people would say, well, we need to take care of the poor. Hey, we've got a free doctor's office. People can come and, and, and be attended to by wonderful doctors who love Jesus. And, and there's never a dime. That, that changes hands. People get prayed for. They hear the word of God um, and, and uh, th- th- they're able to make a choice. Um, but, but we do that not as a social justice issue. We do that in obedience to the Lord. Um, we have uh, a free school here at Calvary Chapel. And what that means is that a whole bunch of people, both Christians and non-Christians, they can now afford to send their children to private Christian education. And, and our school is very rigorous academically. Our kids go to college, all of them. Um, all of them are accepted into college. Now, not all of them choose to go, but um, it, it's a very rigorous academic environment. Uh, and when they graduate, they're ready to do what's next. And it costs absolutely nothing for them to do it. Now, God asks us to do that, so we do it. So again, we're dealing with social justice or or what is commonly called social justice issues. But there's nothing just about any crusade that doesn't involve first each and every person involved pursuing personal holiness in their own lives. Going out, chasing an issue, Lauren, for the sake of... of, um, doing something good and feeling good about yourself has nothing to do with the condition of our heart. You see, we come to Christ by grace through faith, not by doing good things and not attacking issues. If people would simply surrender to the Lord, let Jesus give them the direction, they'd be surprised at just how useful they'd be in dealing with the um, justice issues of the world that we live in. You know, we like to do big things. We don't like to do little things. We need to examine our hearts, and so too is that. Good question, Lauren. Thank you. And boy, it's going to be good to see you. Can't wait to give you a big hug. And Jesse and the kids, tell them I love them, please. Okay, we're inside four minutes now. Where did the time go? I talk too much. Um... Mike says, Pastor Ron, is it okay to pray for the dead? No, it's not. It's okay to pray for the dead. You know, I find myself sometimes people, um, you know, they're struggling with an illness and I'm not sure of their eternal state and they can't convince me one way or another. Um, And when they die, I say, oh, Lord, I pray that, well, you know if they're in heaven already. I don't need to pray that. And the reality is there's no value in praying for the dead, certainly praying to the dead is a sin. It's an abomination to the Lord. So, um, uh, no, it's just not okay to pray for the dead. Um, when somebody that I care about dies, and uh, I know that they're either with Jesus or separated from Jesus, um, I just thank the Lord for chasing them to the very end. If I'm not sure of their eternal fate, I just thank the Lord. I know, Lord, that if he or she isn't in heaven with you, that you did everything that you could to chase them to the very end. You, you, you provided the opportunity for, for grace all the way to the very end. 
And because you did, Lord, I can thank you for your goodness and for your fairness. And we need to remember that. But, Mike, there is no value at all in praying for the dead. There's no second chances that come from heaven. Um, And um, um, there's um, just no value at all in praying to or for the dead. Last question today. This is from Don. He says, Exodus 12 talks about a mixed multitude. Who are they? Uh, Don, the mixed multitude, the people in Egypt. Now, remember, one of the reasons that God did those miracles was to demonstrate to everybody that he really was God. The Egyptian gods weren't gods at all. And there would have been a lot of people when they saw the power of God exercised in the ten plagues, they would have been convinced that Jesus uh, or that, that, that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob really was God. So the mixed multitude are the Egyptians and, of course, other non-Egyptian peoples who would settle in Egypt because Egypt was the, the sort of the, the center of the world at the time. Um, they were the ones who followed uh, God out with the Jews when they made their exodus uh, out of Egypt. Now, they were a constant source of trouble. Uh, they were a constant source of, of division. Um, so the mixed multitude are unbelievers. Don, thanks for the question. Hey, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Tonight, we've got our sweet summer devotions and our men's and youth Bible studies. Bumi Ogunmola will be sharing her heart. 7 o'clock. God bless you. I'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing, on AM630 The Word. See you there. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.